next we'll continue to see the conversation that Herod had with Annas. Annas was actually the chief priest of the Israelites. He was supposed to be a good man who served his people and who served God. He, being the high priest, was supposed <coughs> to represent God to his people. But Annas was not anything like that at all. Annas was a sold-out man who had sold himself to Herod and the Romans for political and monetary profits. No wonder later on when Jesus grew up as a man, he called him and people like him as hypocrites and brood of vipers. They hold the highest office of religion in the land and yet they sold out the people for money. Taxes we will get for you said Annas to Herod. Tranquility we guarantee. That was the bargain. Then Annas and his friends hired the collectors and taxed the people almost double, <clears throat> keeping the unjust half for themselves. Already the people were heavily taxed by the Romans. But Annas and his friends are taxing the people double and they are keeping the unjust half for themselves. They had their own secret police to ferret out rebellions and punish upstarts. Annas and Herod perfectly well understood each other. Herod began the interview with a crafty grin. Annas, he said, I have been having a dispute with some of my friends in court here. I sent for you to settle it. Annas spread his palms toward the ground and inclined his head forward. I hope I can help your brilliant majesty, he replied with composure. He had no fear of Herod, <clears throat> but he was careful to observe every detail of court punctilio. You have only to command me, he added in court etiquette. My very life is in your august service. Herod laughed. He always relished flattery and servility. Even when it was purely formal, he fed on adulation, though he had not tasted many sincere compliments. It's about your religion, said Herod. Anna sucked a hollow tooth. Your majesty is interested in our religion? Of course, I know nothing whatever about it and I don't want to learn either. No majesty? asked Annas, raising his eyebrows. All I want is to settle a dispute. Is it true that you have scriptures that predict the coming of a deliverer of your people? A messiah, as you call it? Majesty, that is correct, said Annas, matter of fact. Herod, who had the bulging eyes of a hyperthyroid victim, leaned forward, truculent and roiled. You realize that can mean 
deliverance only from my royal authority, he snarled. You realize that is sedition? Annas turned his head to one side and smiled composedly through his goat-like beard. He appeared quite unperturbed. Majesty, he said, you will forgive me if I correct a tiny mistake. These prophecies were made about the time of our captivity, when we were in Babylon, hundreds of years ago. Herod sat back a little relaxed. But your people still go on believing in them, he complained. Some of them do, a great Annas, <clears throat> with disarming frankness. But, Majesty, is it not the same in every religion? The ignorant take things literally. Why undeceive the stupid masses of people, especially if it keeps them on their good behavior? No intelligent person believes in any of the wonder stories of the old scriptures, and certainly not in the prophecies. Don't you, as a priest, believe in them, Annas? asked Herod, a little incredulous. No, sire, I am a Sadducee. We don't believe in such things. We don't even believe in a future life or a resurrection. Neither do I, barked Herod irritably. We live today, we die tomorrow, and that's all there is. Anybody who believes anything more is a fool. Precisely, your majesty, agreed Annas. Annas was hoping they would not have to pursue the conversation. But apparently, Herod was still not satisfied. Was there anything said in those old books of yours about where the deliverer... There was some title for him too, wasn't there? Yes, sir, the Christ. Ah, yes, that's the term I heard. Was there anything said about when or where the Christ was to be born? Annas heaved a sigh and scratched his head. His confession was thoroughly honest. Yes, there was, Your Majesty. I'm sorry to say I have forgotten it. That should show you how important it seemed to me. Well, couldn't you have looked it up for me? At once, obeyed Annas. Then come to me at the same hour tomorrow and give me the place and date. Have I made myself clear? Perfectly, your majesty, said Annas. No sooner was Annas gone than Herod commanded that the three wise men be brought to the throne room. For this interview, he arrayed himself in his kingliest robes, in his best clothes, to impress the soldiers and rulers from the land beyond the Euphrates. A frontlet of diamonds and rubies gleamed on Herod's forehead, the diadem of Judea, and from it rose tufted egret that was a little rainbow springing from his grey hair. It was a curious meeting. The august travellers from the east behaved admirably before the king, observing all the properties of a throne room audience. Then, rising, they announced their names, Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. Herod looked upon them with a grandiloquent smile. 
affable and suave. We are curious to know, it told them, why it is that we are honored by a visit from such great dignitaries. He smiled. They told him very simply that they were following a star. A star, repeated Herod. His spies had mentioned something of this, but vaguely. There was the court astrologer, Marto, waiting now in the rear. Herod beckoned to Marto. Listen to this carefully, Marto. Was it a large star, friends, that you followed here? He asked the Magi. The Magi nodded. It was a large star in the east and very upright. They had been following it for many days. Would you know what it is, this star, Marto? demanded the king, chaffing at having to go on pretending to be amiable. Marto explained that there had recently appeared a most remarkable conjunction of Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars, a condition that would not occur in more than a million years. But that fiery display had faded away more than a week ago. Then you have seen a star, you three, that my astrologer has not found, reflected Herod aloud. The wise men said nothing. Well, at any rate, what do you say this star portends? The wise men were very wise indeed because they merely shook their heads and said they could not tell fortunes. But did they not know what it meant for the future of Israel? No, they could not be sure of anything in the future. The star led them on. That was all. But, resisted Herod, what do you expect to find under his star? Then Balthazar told him, a child. The old traveler answered, closing his eyes. A child? Herod's voice was screamy with interest. And what about this child? Melchior answered that they were not free to talk until their errand was complete. Very well then, growled Herod. Where do you expect to find him? Bethlehem. Bethlehem, reacted Herod, such a place. Again they shrugged, they could only follow the star. With the coming of night, they would resume their journey. Herod saw to it that it was useless to bring mere force against wisdom and turned a cunning, smiling face upon the three. Then this is what you must do, he dissembled. Go find the child and then come back and tell me and I will go worship him too. Lifting a sweating hand to his brow, Herod allowed them to depart. No sooner were the doors shut behind them than he gave the signal to his spies. They were to follow the wise men and search everywhere else besides. Find the child that had been born under a magical star. But in the darkness of that night, Gaspar, Melchior, and Balthazar, with their extra-laden camel, eluded Herod's pursuers. The wise men rode by an inside lane on to Bethlehem, as if there was nothing in the world of human cunning that wise men had to fear. They found the town, the inn, the stable. 
They knelt, and their eyes were full of worshipful glory as they gazed, as they gazed upon Mary's baby. Then the wise men embraced Joseph, kissed his beard, and bowed ceremoniously. Having bestowed their gifts, they departed from the stable, but not to return to Jerusalem. The waiting Herod was never to see them again. Having bedded down at another inn, all three magi went promptly to sleep and dreamed the same dream. Because of that dream, they rose in the middle of the night and got away on their camels, completely outwitting several searching bands from the palace. By another way, they headed for their own country, and so, obedient to their own vision, they jogged out of history, never to reappear. The angel of the Lord had given a dream to all the three men that they were not to return back to Herod's palace, but to return to their own countries through another way. And they obeyed this dream from God right away. It was a night of dreams powerful in meaning. The visit of the wise men had come at a time when Mary and Joseph felt troubled and bewildered, for this was the night of the day that they had carried the baby to the temple. The incidents of the morning had been shocking to the simple-hearted family. The terror of those two encounters lingered. The old man Simeon squeaking down the long range of pillared arches, that at last he could die, having seen the face of the Saviour of all the people of the world. And after that, Simeon, the fasting and praying widow of 84 years, Anna, who had crept out of the shadows of a marble pillar and called him the Redeemer. She had called the baby the Redeemer. The dream that followed in Joseph's sleep was even more upsetting once again, the foster father of Jesus found himself face to face with the same bright angel that had come to his bedside in Nazareth and told him to marry Mary without distrust, for the child in her womb was miraculous. This time, the bright angel gave Joseph new instructions. Arise and take the child and his mother and fly into Egypt and be there until I shall tell you, for it will come to pass that Herod will seek the child to destroy him. Suddenly, Joseph awoke. He remembered the dream. The angel had told him clearly to right away take the child, the baby Jesus, and his mother Mary, and to fly to run to Egypt and to remain there. For King Herod will seek for the child to destroy him. He had heard from Samuel how it is possible that Herod would want to kill the baby. He sensed the danger, and he also knew for sure that the dream which he had was a dream from God, that the angel who gave him these instructions now was the same angel who had instructed him to marry Mary without fear. But how? How is the simple carpenter to go to Egypt? 
how to get to Egypt. He had never traveled far beyond Nazareth and Jerusalem. It would also take money to travel so far, and only a few coins were left. Even in the temple, he had to buy the two doves as an offering because he had no more money to buy lamb. And now he's supposed to take Mary, the new mother, and his adopted son, and he's supposed to go to Egypt, to a foreign country. It was a most tormented Joseph who stood in the dark stable thus early in the morning, accepting to the full the stern warning of his dream. He would go. Yet he's penniless to obey. He does not have money enough to go to a foreign land. What to do? He started thinking. Almost instantaneously, he learned there was nothing needed for him to do at all. The money for the long trip to Egypt was already provided. For now he saw, moving toward him in the gloom, the bent figure of his father-in-law, Jehoiakim. He too could not sleep, so he had busied himself usefully on packing the gifts of the wise men which they had given for the child. Jehoiakim opened the gifts and whispered to his son-in-law, Flask of perfume, frankincense, the most perfect of all, an ointment made from olive oil, sweetened with spices, fragrant gums, odors of pressed flowers. And in the second package, another stuff called myrrh. They told me it was an aromatic gum taken from a thorn tree. Joseph laid a hand on the shoulder of his father-in-law. Jehoiakim, he sighed, we have now to think of other matters. And this third gift, the old man rumbled on, is the smallest and the heaviest of all the wise men's bounty. Guess what's in this bundle, Joseph? What, father-in-law? asked Joseph. Jehoiakim shook the package and a heavy clinking sound echoed to the vaulted roof of the cave. It's gold, whispered Jehoiakim. They brought us frankincense, myrrh, and gold. They must have known we would need it. Then Joseph said, with all his heart, Glory be to God, praise his holy name, gasped Joseph and fell to his knees. He knew that God had provided what he needed, even before he asked. The wise men had come not only to acknowledge that Jesus was the promised Messiah, they had also brought gifts, and those gifts would be enough for him to sustain him and his family during the long journey to Egypt and during the time it would take for him to settle down and find a trade in Egypt. So, as obedient as ever to God, Joseph unpacked, he packed his things, he woke up Mary and Jesus and that night he went on his way to Egypt by obeying the supernatural voice 
of God, of the angel of God, Joseph was able to save the baby Jesus from being killed by Herod. Just like the wise men, he too was able to outwit the spies and soldiers of Herod.